welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world. And if that be so, let us give thanks and praises that those higher qualities of the spirit of the living God within us are ever-expanding within our beings, our thoughts, feelings, and actions, and flooding out those old characteristics of hate and darkness, those former negative conditionings, thus creating within and around us an aura that represents most genuinely those attributes of the love and light of our mighty I Am Presence. Amen. Now, I know sometimes, y'all, the teachings included in the greetings can be a little lengthy, but I never know what it will be until it is. Still, though, I try to shorten them as much as I can, trying to keep the lesson under 20 minutes. But the teachings... Just like anything else coming from the heavenlies, cannot be regulated. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. Before any settled science or philosophy or religion existed, there were still certain things, and consequently also certain words, which had a tremendous influence on the human mind, which in fact affected it deeply. Such a word, for instance, is thunder. To hear thunder, to imitate it, even to mention it, are sure ways of rousing superstitious attention and imagination. Such another word is serpent, another tree, and so forth. There is no one who is insensible to the reverberation of these and other such words and images, and among them, standing prominently out, are the two, mother and virgin. The word mother touches the deepest springs of human feeling. As the earliest word learnt and clung to by the child, it twines itself with the heartstrings of the man, even to his latest day. Nor must we forget that in a primitive state of society, the matriarchate, that influence was probably even greater than now, for the father of the child being, often as not, unknown, the attachment to the mother was all the more intense and undivided. The word mother had a magic about it which has remained even until today. But if that word rooted itself deep in the heart of the child, the other word virgin had an obvious magic for the full-grown and sexually mature man, a magic which it, too, has never lost. There is ample evidence that one of the very earliest objects of human worship was the earth itself, conceived of as the fertile mother of all things. Gaia or Gay. The earth, had temples and altars in almost all the cities of Greece. Rhea or Cybele, sprung from the earth, was mother of all the gods. Demeter, earth mother, was honored far and wide as the gracious patroness of the crops and vegetation. Ceres, of course, the same. Maya in the Indian mythology and Isis in the Egyptian, are forms of nature and the earth spirit, represented as female, and so forth. The earth, in these ancient cults, was the mystic source of all life, and to it, as a propitiation, 
life of all kinds was sacrificed. There are strange accounts of a huge fire being made, with an altar to Sabel in the midst, and of deer and fawns and wild animals, and birds and sheep and corn and fruits being thrown pell-mell into the flames. It was, in a way, the most natural, as it seems to have been the earliest and most spontaneous of cults, the worship of the Earth Mother, the all-producing eternal source of life, and on account of her never-failing, ever-renewed fertility, conceived of as an immortal virgin. But when the Savior legend sprang up, as indeed I think it must have sprung up, in tribe after tribe and people after people, independently, then, whether it sprang from the divinization of some actual man who showed the way of light and deliverance to his fellows sitting in darkness, or whether from the personification of the tribe itself as a god, in either case the question of the hero's parentage was bound to arise. If the savior was plainly a personification of the tribe, it was obviously impossible to suppose him the son of a mortal mother. In that case, and if the tribe was generally traced in the legends to some primeval animal or mountain or thing of nature, it was probably easy to think of him, the savior, as born out of nature's womb, descended perhaps from that pure virgin of the world who is the earth and nature, who rules the skies at night, and stands in the changing phases of the moon, and is worshipped, as we have seen, in the great constellation Virgo. If, on the other hand, he was the divinization of some actual man, more or less known personally or by tradition to his fellows, then in all probability the name of his mortal mother would be recognized and accepted, but as to his father, that side of parentage being, as we have said, generally very uncertain, it would be easy to suppose some heavenly annunciation, the midnight visit of a god, and what is usually termed a virgin birth. A virgin mother was, therefore, a quite imaginable, not to say conceivable, thing, and indeed, a very beautiful and fascinating thing, combining in one image the potent magic of two very wonderful words. It does not seem impossible that considerations of this kind led to the adoption of the doctrine or legend of the Virgin Mother and the Heavenly Father among so many races and in so many localities, even without any contagion of tradition among them. Anyhow, and as a matter of fact, the worldwide dissemination of the legend is most remarkable. Zeus, father of the gods, visited Semele, it will be remembered, in the form of a thunderstorm, and she gave birth to the great savior and deliverer Dionysus. Zeus, again, impregnated Danae in a shower of gold, and the child was Perseus, who slew the Gorgons, the powers of darkness, and saved Andromeda, the human soul. Devaki, the radiant virgin of the Hindu mythology, became the wife of the god Vishnu and bore Krishna, the beloved hero and prototype of Christ. With regard to Buddha, Saint Jerome says, it is handed down among the gymnosophists of India, that Buddha, the founder of their system, was brought forth by a virgin from her side. The Egyptian Isis, with the child Horus, on her knee, was honored centuries before the Christian era, and worshipped under the names of Our Lady. Queen of Heaven. Star of the Sea. Mother of God, and so forth. Before her, Nath, the virgin of the world, whose figure bends from the sky over the earthly plains and the children of men, was acclaimed as mother of the great god Osiris. The savior Mithra, too, was born of a virgin, as we have had occasion to notice before, and on the Mithra's monuments, the mother suckling her child is a not uncommon figure. The old Teutonic goddess Herda, the earth, was a virgin, but was impregnated by the heavenly spirit, the sky, and her image with the child in her arms was to be seen in the sacred groves of Germany. The Scandinavian Frigga, in much the same way, being caught in the embraces of Odin, the Allfather, conceived and bore a son, the blessed Balder, healer and savior of mankind. Quetzalcoatl, the crucified savior of the Aztecs, 
was the son of Kaimalman, the virgin queen of heaven. Even the Chinese had a mother goddess and virgin with child in her arms, and the ancient Etruscans the same. Finally, we have the curiously large number of black virgin mothers who are or have been worshipped. Not only cases like Devaki the Indian goddess, or Isis the Egyptian, who would naturally appear black-skinned or dark, but the large number of images and paintings of the same kind, yet extant, especially in the Italian churches, and passing for representations of Mary and the infant Jesus. Such are the well-known image in the chapel at Loreto and images and paintings besides in the churches at Genoa, Pisa, Padua, Munich, and other places. It is difficult not to regard these as very old pagan or pre-Christian relics which lingered on into Christian times and were baptized anew, as indeed we know many relics and images actually were, into the service of the Church. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, and there is, I believe, more than one black figure extant of this Diana, who, though of course a virgin, is represented with innumerable breasts, not unlike some of the archaic statues of Artemis and Isis. At Paris far on into Christian times there was, it is said, on the site of the present Cathedral of Notre Dame, a temple dedicated to Our Lady Isis, and images belonging to the earlier shrine would in all probability be preserved with altered name in the later. All this illustrates not only the wide diffusion of the doctrine of the Virgin Mother, but its extreme antiquity. The subject is obscure, and worthy of more consideration than has yet been accorded it, and I do not feel able to add anything to the tentative explanations given a page or two back, except perhaps to suppose that the vision of the perfect man hovered dimly over the mind of the human race on its first emergence from the purely animal stage, and that a quite natural speculation with regard to such a being was that he would be born from a perfect woman, who according to early ideas would necessarily be the virgin earth itself, mother of all things. But whether any of the explanations spoken of are right or wrong, and whatever explanation we adopt, there remains the fact of the universality over the world of this legend, affording another instance of the practical solidarity and continuity of the pagan creeds, with Christianity. Pagan and Christian Creeds, Their Origin and Meaning, by Edward Carpenter, 1920. Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 2 Before the shrine of Jupiter Ammon were suspended tinkling bells, from the sound of whose chiming the priests gathered the auguries, a golden bell and a pomegranate, round about the hem of the robe, was the result with the Mosaic Jews. But in the Buddhistic system, during the religious services, the gods of the Deva Loka are always invoked, and invited to descend upon the altars by the ringing of bells suspended in the pagodas. The bell of the sacred table of Shiva at Kohama is described in Kailasa, and every Buddhist Vihara and Lamasery has its bells. We thus see that the bells used by Christians come to them directly from the Buddhist Tibetans and Chinese. The beads and rosaries have the same origin and have been used by Buddhist monks for over 2,300 years. The lingams in the Hindu temples are ornamented upon certain days with large berries, from a tree sacred to Mahadeva, which are strung into rosaries. The title of nun is an Egyptian word and had with them the actual meaning, the Christians did not even take the trouble of translating the word nana. The aureole of the saints was used by the antediluvian artists of Babylonia, whenever they desired to honor of deify a mortal's head. In a celebrated picture in Moore's Hindu pantheon, entitled, Krishna Nurse by Devaki, from a highly finished picture, the Hindu virgin is represented as seated on a lounge and nursing Krishna. 
the hair brushed back, the long veil, and the golden aureole around the virgin's head, as well as around that of the Hindu savior, are striking. No Catholic, well-versed as he might be in the mysterious symbolism of iconology, would hesitate for a moment to worship at that shrine the Virgin Mary, the mother of his God. In Indra Suba, the south entrance of the caves of Alora, may be seen to this day the figure of Indra's wife, Indrani, sitting with her infant son God, pointing the finger to heaven with the same gesture as the Italian Madonna and child. In pagan and Christian symbolism, the author gives a figure from a medieval woodcut, the like of which we have seen by dozens in old Psalters, in which the Virgin Mary, with her infant, is represented as the Queen of Heaven, on the crescent moon, emblem of virginity. Being before the sun, she almost eclipses its light. Than this, nothing could more completely identify the Christian mother and child with Isis and Horus, Ishtar, Venus, Juno, and a host of other pagan goddesses, who have been called Queen of Heaven, Queen of the Universe, Mother of God, Spouse of God, the Celestial Virgin, the Heavenly Peacemaker, etc. Such pictures are not purely astronomical. They represent the male god and the female goddess, as the sun and moon in conjunction, the union of the triad with the unit. The horns of the cow on the head of Isis have the same significance. And so above, below, outside, and inside, the Christian church, in the priestly garments, and the religious rites, we recognize the stamp of exoteric heathenism. H.P. Blavatsky On no subject within the wide range of human knowledge, has the world been more blinded or deceived with such persistent misrepresentation, as on that of antiquity. Its hoary past and its religious faiths have been misrepresented and trampled under the feet of its successors. Its hierophants and prophets, Misty and Apopti, of the one sacred Adida of the temple shown as demoniacs and devil-worshippers. Donned in the despoiled garments of the victim, the Christian priest now anathematizes the latter with rites and ceremonies which he has learned from the theurgists themselves. The Mosaic Bible is used as a weapon against the people who furnished it. The heathen philosopher is cursed under the very roof which has witnessed his initiation, and the monkey of God, i.e., the devil of Tertullian, the originator and founder of magical theurgy, the science of illusions and lies, whose father and author is the demon, is exorcised with holy water by the hand which holds the identical lituus with which the ancient augur, after a solemn prayer, used to determine the regions of heaven and evoke, in the name of the highest, the minor god, now termed the devil, who unveiled to his eyes futurity, and enabled him to prophesy. On the part of the Christians and the clergy it is nothing, but shameful ignorance, prejudice, and that contemptible pride so boldly denounced by one of their own reverend ministers, Tigros, which rails against all investigation as useless or a criminal labor, when it must be feared that they will result in the overthrow of pre-established systems of faith. On the part of the scholars, it is the same apprehension of the possible necessity of having to modify some of their erroneously established theories of science. Nothing but such pitiable prejudice, says Gross, can have thus misrepresented the theology of heathenism, and distorted, nay, caricatured, its forms of religious worship. It is time that posterity should raise its voice in vindication of violated truth, and that the present age should learn a little of that common sense of which it boasts with as much self-complacency, as if the prerogative of reason was the birthright only of modern times. All this gives a sure clue to the real cause of the hatred felt by the early and medieval Christian toward his pagan brother, and dangerous rival. We hate but what we fear. H.P. Blavatsky
The I Am Discourses, Volume 15. Now I am going to give you the secret of our dwelling with you. If you want to see us face to face with the outer sight, when you think of our visible, tangible presence, call to your beloved I Am Presence to annihilate all human obstruction that keeps you from seeing us, visible and tangible, at any time that we pour our love to you. Applause. Thank you so much. And at the same time, call to your beloved I Am Presence and to us to annihilate all obstruction in the atmosphere, not only all obstruction within your own mental and feeling world, but all obstruction in the atmosphere that keeps you from seeing us face to face with a physical sight. If you will make that call, and you, with dynamic intensity, say to your beloved I Am Presence and the Ascended Host, annihilate every bit of obstruction in me and in the atmosphere around me that keeps me from seeing the angelic host who come to help me. We can do it. Your presence can do it. We have offered it down through the ages. We are the annihilation of human obstruction. But you must arise in the master authority and master command of everything, every vibration of human creation within and around yourselves, or in the atmosphere about you. Then when you say to your beloved I am presence, purify me and annihilate everything within me that is an obstruction to my seeing the angelic host face to face. Annihilate in the atmosphere all that would be an obstruction, and blaze the purity here, in, and around me that always lets me see them, see the angelic host when they are pouring love to me. My dear ones, we'll do it. We've promised, and there isn't a promise we make, that we can't fulfill. Love is offering everything, but mankind does not want purity, and purity is imperative if individuals are going to see us with a physical sight. So the day that you say to your presence unconditionally, blaze in, through and around me whatever sacred fire purity annihilates all obstruction in me and in the atmosphere around me that keeps me from seeing the mighty I am presence and the ascended host face to face. The day you ask that, and the day you take your stand and demand it, your presence and we will do it. So, I offer you, long applause. Thank you so much. The Great Cosmic Angel What do you think beloved ones, would be the condition of mankind if individuals spent as much time calling for the sacred fire purity of the mighty I am presence and the ascended host to enable the outer self of each one, each life stream, to see the mighty I am presence and the ascended host, as much time were spent on that as human beings spend watching the television or into the moving pictures. What do you think would be the condition of the mankind of this world? They couldn't remain in their chains. The people couldn't. Don't you see what people are doing with time? Don't you see what they are doing with energy? Don't you see what they are doing with the substance and the things of this world? The things they do with it enslave them to greater and greater destruction until the second death, and if they won't give in to that thing, if they will call to us, it will take them into the ascension. Now people must decide what they want. They either want the mighty I am presence and the ascended host purifying love and the victory of the eternal peace and mastery of the ascension, or they do not. There is no compromise. So long as human beings want the gratification of the physical senses and are not interested in purity, then people's suffering goes on and individuals go into greater and greater and greater destruction, until the second death is the result of it. Hordes of evil want to destroy you. Our love wants to save not only you, but all mankind, all life, from the experience of any more suffering produced by the hordes of evil. So, when we come and have to beg to be accepted and beg to be recognized and beg to be understood, and we have to beg people to accept our love, 
which is light and purity and happiness and protection and freedom for eternity, what think you is the darkness that enfolds mankind? Nobody can consume that but the angelic host and the mighty I am presence. If light doesn't come into the darkness, then the darkness destroys. So when it is necessary for us to come and explain this and give this to you so you may use it, I am sure you recognize that the mighty Saint Germain has called to us for assistance to be with you as much as possible, as much as you will call, and as much as you will let us come near to you, by the attention you give us. So beloved ones, in preparation for the release of the cosmic light of a thousand suns, we want you enfolded in our angelic host's miracle mantle of sacred fire love's mastery and freedom from the hordes of evil. And surely you want that. Applause. Thank you so much. The Great Cosmic Angel, 